the thing that, that got Paul most excited in life was when people came to know and love Jesus. His whole life was about that. Uh, Paul was the kind of bloke who felt Jesus' call to do that so strongly that he was, he was willing to face imprisonment, persecution, beatings, stonings, whippings, shipwrecks, uh, anything and everything, snake bite, that, that you can think of. Paul was like, you know what, it's worth it because people are coming to know Jesus and because Jesus has given me the task of telling them the good news. It was the bee's knees for Paul. And so when we come to Colossians chapter 1, we see almost right from the get-go, it's we always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for you. See, I, I think the reason Paul just starts off with like, I'm just so thankful to God for what's been happening in this place that I've never ever been. I think the reason Paul does that is because he's got his eye on the prize of Jesus our Christ. Uh, Have a read uh, Philippians chapter 3. We'll throw it up on on the screen here. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 to 14. Paul says to the Philippian church, Dear brothers and sisters, I haven't achieved it. I haven't achieved perfection. I haven't achieved, you know, being who God says I am. But I focus on this one thing. You know, let me just take that back. I haven't achieved in this life being the perfect person that God is making to me, is what Paul is saying. He says, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Paul's whole life is set forward to the heavenly prize to which God has called us. The prize of being with God, of knowing God, of being part of the new creation where where sin and death And all that is dark and evil is gone. And Paul's whole life is going, I am running to win that prize. I am heading there. And the thing that excites me most most is when other people are running that race as well. And when people start crossing the finishing line of Jesus Christ, that makes me happy. And I want to thank God for that so much. What are you hopeful for? To do the same. Hope is so important for us, you know. With, without hope, people crumble. So often, almost every six months or every year, we hear in the news that somebody else is introducing another euthanasia bill. Euthanasia. And the problem with that is they're saying to people if you have no hope you might as well just die. A euthanasia bill is a bill of hopelessness. It's a bill of hopelessness. They've done some studies, athletes who have hope do better. Hope is what drives us on. Hope and anticipation for the future drives us on. If you hope to play cricket for Australia, that changes what you do now. 
if you hope to get a degree, you think about studying. You're also young, so you probably don't do much studying. If you hope to get a driver's license, you take lessons. If you hope to be part of the Olympic swimming team, you buy some swimming trunks. Swimming clothes. Togs. Bathers. Yeah, you probably learn to swim is the next good step after that. <laughs> Let's move on. You know what? There are so many things in this world that we hope for. Our whole marketing industry is designed to build hope in us. Oh, I hope I can be like that. I hope I can have that. And I'll do whatever it takes to be that or to have that. But, but as Christians, we have the best hope that there can be. We have the hope of glory. We have the hope of a new world, of this world redeemed. We have the hope of seeing Jesus face to face and knowing that, that nothing in, in who we are stops Him loving us. We have the hope of enjoying Him forever and ever. We have the hope of seeing sin and death undone. In the world around us, in ourselves, we have the hope of a world where everything is right, including us. Morally, emotionally, physically, mentally, all those things made right. We have the hope of being made new. We have the hope of being like Jesus. We have the hope of, of being the kind of people who want to see God's will being done in all areas of all creation. We have the hope of our full salvation. We have the hope of a life with God, a life as life should be. We have the hope of eternal delight in the one who alone can eternally delight. We have a hope that this world cannot have. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 uh, speaks to us and it, it, it's saying something really quite basic. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of what we cannot see. That, that doesn't mean, you know, faith is, you know, trusting despite the evidence. It's, it's saying we trust in anticipation of what we don't yet have. We trust based on what we know about God, but we trust for what we don't yet have. We have hope for the future. What we do have now, and we have a lot, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we have God changing us to be like Him, but all of what we have now is a foretaste of our future hope when everything will be right, when we will be with God. You know, so often we have this idea in our minds of heaven as just... I, I don't, Unless you really like harp music, a little bit of a boring place. I mean, what are you going to do? Um, Graham at uh, Bible study used to always say, you know what, when I get to heaven, I'll sit down in my rocking chair. And then after a few thousand years, I might start rocking. I might have misquoted Graham there. But you know what the thing is? We, we tend to think of of, of heaven as just this, this place where just, you know, anything happens and it's slow and it's a little bit, you know, just boring. And it's not. 
It's not going to be boring. Do you know why it's not going to be boring? Because we are going to be with God, the most creative, the most knowledgeable, the most amazing person ever. The thing about eternity is not that we get to live forever, although, you know, that's pretty exciting, but it's that we get to live forever with God. That is the hope that, that Jesus sets before us. That is the hope that God sets before us. And to follow Jesus is to live now in the light of eternity. To follow Jesus is to say that I'm going to trust God now for all that He has promised, that He has done, and that He will do from now on. We are already part of eternity. We are already stepping into the hope that God has prepared for us. And and you know what? This, This hope is not just pie in the sky. It's not just an expectation based on a wish. It's an expectation based on the truth of the good news. Look at what Paul says to the Colossians there. He says in chapter 1 verse 5, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation when ever since you heard the first, for the first time the truth of the good news. And the good news What is the good news? God loves me. That's part of it. He's coming back. That's part of it. That's it. The kingdom of God is near. This is the good news. You, you read through the Gospels. It says right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry that, that, he, that he gets baptized, he gets tempted, and then he goes out and he preaches the good news. And what does he say? He says, the kingdom of God is near. It's only near because of who he is and what he does. But he goes and he says, guys, the good news is that the kingdom of God, a life where everything as it is as it should be, is near to you. You can have entrance into this. Won't you take hold of this hope? And it's a hope that is based on expectation. It's based on the truth. You want to know why it's true? Well, look at what Jesus did. He actually, he said the kingdom of God is near and then he started showing it. He started healing people. He started casting out demons. He started bringing the kingdom of God into this world right now. He actually healed the sick. He actually did miracles. He actually cast out demons. He actually died. He actually rose from the dead. He actually is alive again now. He actually sent His Spirit. And He actually said to His disciples, You are my witnesses to this. This is not just a nice myth or a story. This is the truth of what I am saying. Here is the evidence. You know, John, at the end of his gospel, he says, you know, I've written a whole bunch of stuff and I could write a whole bunch more stuff, but I've written this stuff so that you guys will believe. What has he written? He's written the story of what Jesus actually did. He said, here is my evidence for you. The good news is that the kingdom of God is near, but good news about the good news is that there is evidence for us to trust in it, to put our hope in Jesus. You know, it's when, it's when we hear about this evidence. It's, it's when we hear about what God has done. The fact that Jesus did come to, to this earth and become one of us. The fact that He did live the perfect life. The fact that He did die and did rise from the dead. When we hear that, the spark of new life by the Holy Spirit is lit in people. See, the Colossians... They had heard the good news. They heard the, the, the claims of Jesus. They heard 
all the stories of, of how Jesus had proved himself, ultimately how he raised from the dead and was seen as risen once more. And they decided on the basis of the evidence, this is true, and if this is true, then I am putting my hope in that. I'm taking my gaze and I'm fixing it on that hope which Jesus Christ has set before us. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. But have a look just a little bit up from that. We always pray for you. We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus for we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. Paul says, I've heard about your faith. I've, I've heard about your love. Epaphras has arrived and has told Paul everything that's been happening in the city of Colossae. He's told them, uh, Paul, about how these people just trust Jesus absolutely. How they are showing love not just to each other, but to all of God's people wherever they may be. But notice the order in which Paul lists those three famous words, faith, hope, and love. It's not in that order. Paul says, I've heard about your love. I've heard about your faith. Other way around. But it's not that your faith and your love give you a hope for the future. It's not because you trust Jesus and because you love other people that you have a hope for the future. Paul says, because you have a hope for the future, you put your trust in Jesus and you love others. Your faith and your love come from the confident expectation, which come from the confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. It is their hope that results in their faith and their love. They trusted in Jesus because they believed His promise that He would forgive them, that they would be with Him, that they would live with Him forever. Their faith comes from the hope of what Jesus holds out before us. And their love for each other, well, they loved other Christians because they loved God and how He'd made us all family. One day we are all going to be together. I was listening to a podcast this weekend. This, this person was saying, you know, you know how it is sometimes there's someone in a room that you just are desperate to meet and you really need to meet them, like a, a famous Christian speaker or author or whatever. And the temptation is to, hello, Robin, I'm talking to you, but is that, is that Reg? Do that sort of thing. And this, this uh, lady on the podcast was, podcast was saying, you know what, I've come to realize that if God wants me to meet someone important, he'll arrange it. But in the very worst case scenario, we're going to be together for all eternity. So that's wonderful. I'll catch up with them then. You know what, that, that's kind of what they're saying. They're saying, you know what, we love each other because we know that we're going to be family together for all eternity. Loyalty to Jesus, faith in Jesus can result in all sorts of trouble. For some, it can result in death or social ostracism. Loving others, putting their needs above our own, can seem stupid to people. They can say, well, what's wrong with you giving a donation to the poor over there when if you had only put it into your own house, you would have paid off your home loan sooner. You see, 
the reasons the Colossians put their trust in Jesus, the reason they loved each other was because they were convinced that what Jesus offered was the best deal going. Paul wrote to the Philippians again, Philippians chapter 3 verse 8. He says, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've discarded everything else, accounting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. The Colossians, Paul says, I'm so thankful to God because you guys have found that there is a hope in Christ Jesus and out of that you have put your faith in him. You have put, you've developed this love for others because of what God has laid out before you. You've looked at that, you've said, this is worth it. They were convinced based on what Epaphras had shared with them. They were convinced by the evidence of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. And I'm sure that God's power was evident in that church as well. I'm sure that the Holy Spirit was verifying and showing that He is still alive and active. And, and the good news took root in that city, in that town. The good news started spreading. And it sank deeply into the lives of the people who became Christians. And the fruit of the Spirit started appearing. And the fruit, by the way, I think includes faith and love. The good news was growing into them and the good news was changing them. N.T. Wright, the, the wonderful theologian, says, Imagine you buy a new house. It's a little bit run down. It's a little bit tattered. The, the, garden's, the garden's tired. If you need help for what that looks like, come and look at my veggie garden. It'll help explain it to you. And then a friend comes along and gives you some seeds. He says to you, you know, these seeds are the latest thing from Monsanto. It's going to transform the garden with this luscious green carpet. You will have the most amazing fruit under the leaves. And so you take and you go, well, this, is, this reminds me of a story about a bloke with a cow and a giant and some gold and some eggs and all that stuff, but I'll plant it. And you plant it and you water it and it's amazing. And, and your garden is transformed. It turns into this luscious place and the, the, the scent of it is intoxicating. It's just like, just think of your favorite gardeny smell, your favorite fruit. Multiply it 20 times. That's the kind of smell that it has. I'm riffing a bit of anti right here. And it's just incredible. And so you go to your friend and you say, this is incredible. This is amazing. What is it? And your friend says to you, ah, it's, it's a brand new thing. It's transforming gardens everywhere. You are part of a whole new world. This plant is changing everything. That's the sort of picture that Paul is painting for us. He's saying, you know what? Your lives were tattered. Your lives were messy. He mentions that a lot in the book of Colossians where they came from but he says you've got this amazing good news and it has taken root and the hope of that you guys you guys have run with that and the difference it's making the love for others that is developing in you the faith in Jesus it is incredible the gospel is growing into you and taking root and changing you and changing everywhere But it's not 
it's not just about us, is it? It's not just about, well, I've sifted the evidence, I've heard the hope, I've decided I'm going to do this. It's not us who grows faith. It's not us who grows love. Verse 8 is really important here. Paul is telling us about Epaphras. He's Christ's faithful servant. He's helping us on your behalf. Verse 8, he has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Paul says that their love for others came from their hope, which came from their hearing the good news, and they put their trust in that good news. But he also says in verse 8 here that their love for others comes from the Holy Spirit at work in them. You know, the great thing is, Paul's, the stuff that he's describing about the Colossians, the stuff that he's thankful for, on one level, it's, it's, they've decided to follow Jesus. They've put their trust in the hope set before them. But on another level, none of this is natural. This is, this is all God at work in their lives. You know, for us to see the hope before us and set our hope on Christ involves God coming through and saying, you know what, I need you guys to see how amazing this hope is. God opens our eyes to see that and God is the one by His Spirit who gives us faith and gives us hope and gives us love for each other. God has to make us alive and that is the incredibleness of the good news. And while we were still dead, while we were still sinners, Christ comes to us. Ezekiel has that famous incident, this vision where God shows him a valley of dry bones and says, what do you think Ezekiel, can they live? And Ezekiel by this stage is a little bit clued up about who God is and what God can do and he says, well, I guess I'll leave that up to you God, you alone know. And God says to him, Ezekiel, you speak to these bones, prophesy to them. And as he does, these bones knit together and they come alive again and they become they become corpses and God breathes life into them and they become alive. You know, it's the same thing that God does whenever the gospel is spoken. Epaphras came, he heard Paul, he went back and he spoke to these Colossians. And as God's word came out, something happened. And they recognized the hope and they put their trust in it. You know, whenever we tell people about Jesus, it's not just about us talking, because the message we give is not our message, it's God's message. It's the Holy Spirit's message. Nobody can live without hope. But the truth is that nobody can really live without God's hope. Without God saying, I'm the only hope that lasts. So often we put our hope in the wrong places. So often we, we think that if only this or that comes true, then life will be comfortable, life will be worth living. We live in a Western world. We, we often put our hope in money or in possessions, or in our pension. Or maybe we put our hope in our relationships, or in religion. You know, if I do X, Y, Z, and I don't do that, and I do do that, then God will have to take me in. 
or we put our hope in making this world a better place or we put our hope in any other number of idols pleasure, fame, power, whatever your idol is and the reason that these hopes are not worthy hopes the reason we need to hear of the one hope that can satisfy us is because all other hopes are limited any hope that finds its origin in creation cannot ultimately satisfy us because we are more than just. People who are part of creation, we were destined for eternity. We are part of creation, but God intends us to live with Him forever. You know, even as Christians, we can be tempted to put our hope in temporary hopes. Jeremiah, God speaks about the Israelites and he says, My people have done this terrible thing. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And they have instead made for themselves, you know, cisterns, jars of water buried in the ground. Which kind of is not too bad, except they also... All the jars that they buried to hold their water are cracked and leaking. Any hope other than God is a cracked and leaking hope. So it's my hope that God's good news would sink deeply into my life and your life, that the roots would spread that we would come to realize more and more that our hope can only ever be found in Jesus. That all other hopes are worthless. And as we do that, I pray that, that God would develop in us a deeper loyalty and love for Jesus. And a deeper love for each other. That the fruit of His kingdom would develop in our lives. That people would come to us and say, Man, what, what, is, what is in your garden? What is different about you guys? Now we'd be able to say to them, You know what? I have a hope that lasts. We live in a world that is starved of lasting hope. And Jesus came to us and said, Hope that lasts. The kingdom of God is near. Won't you take it? Won't you come? On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he shared a meal with his followers, his disciples. He shared some wine, he shared some bread with him. He said, this is, this is my body broken for you, this is my blood poured out for you. I want you to do this in remembrance of me until I come again. You see, what Jesus was doing was making hope possible for us.
communion is a time of hope. Communion is when we come and we say, I cannot save myself. I am messed up. I am broken. But Jesus has made it possible. I have an expectation that because of what Jesus has done, I will be with him forever. Have a listen to what Jesus said. As they were eating, he took some bread and he blessed it. He broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, Take it for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, It's my blood. Which confirms the covenant, the agreement between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. Listen to this bit. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. You spot the hope there? I'm dealing with the issue. But there will come a day when I will drink this again in the kingdom of God. You and I will be seated at that table. That is the hope laid before us. That is the hope on which we live our lives now. That is the hope on which we make decisions on what we do, what we say. That is the hope on which everything else in our life is directed. Keith, Val, can I ask you to come forward? Jesus shared some bread with his apostles and disciples Thank you. Said, This is my body broken for you. I'll deal with the problem. Our hope is based on what Jesus did. Our hope is based on the fact that he actually, actually died for us. Feel free to eat the bread. Just. Take some time to think about the hope that Jesus has set before you. The fact that he has done what is necessary for you to have hope. Ask him to help you live on the basis of the hope set before you. His body broken for us. His blood poured out to us. Confirmation confirmation of God's agreement with us. As you take the cup, hold it together. We'll drink it together. But Take it and think. Thank you. Take it and think that this is God's contract with us that what he has said he will do, he will do. The blood of the covenant, the blood that confirms what Jesus has done for us. The blood that says, putting your trust in me, you can trust me. Look what I've done for you. Let's drink together. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Father, that you do love us. 
Lord, you died for us. You proved that you are worth trusting. Thank you for the hope that you have set before us. Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on that. Lord, I pray that the, the good news which has taken root in us would grow deeply into us. That we would be like trees planted by a river, bearing fruit in every season. Grow your love and your faithfulness in us, Jesus, we pray. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on the heavenly prize, which is you, in everything that we are and do. Amen.